Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Hey, welcome to Faith this morning. So good to see everybody here today. We are talking about full, having life to the full, and that life to the full is found through the person of the Holy Spirit. So take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now our our series is based on the theme verse of John 10 and verse 10. And in this verse you hear the mission statement of Satan. He said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to wipe you out. He wants to destroy you. It says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. How many know there's an incredible full life in the Lord Jesus Christ? There's nothing like knowing Jesus and following and serving him and and being a part of that life in him. Now, here's what happened, though. The disciples thought that life was anything but full when Jesus says in John 14, hey, guys, I'm going to be going away. I'm leaving you. And right away, every one of the disciples are filled with anxiety, they're filled with fear, they're filled with frustration, they're troubled in their heart. They're not having that full life that he talked about in John chapter 10, uh, four chapters later when he says, I'm going away, I'm leaving you in John chapter 14. But he says, if I go away, I will send to you another comforter who will be with you and he will be in you. And so we understand that for the disciples, that fear, that anxiety, that grief would all be fulfilled by the Holy Spirit who would be with them wherever they went and he would be the key to their full abundant life. It is found in that spirit-filled life of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And it comes through that presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's who we've been talking about these last several weeks. He will be with you. And so we're looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. Now in Acts chapter 19, uh, uh, Apollos says, have you uh, received the Holy Spirit? And they make this statement. They say, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And I think what we find today in the church world today is there are many who would say, I don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. We know God the Father, We understand Jesus Christ the Son. We understand his his death, burial, and resurrection. And we celebrate Easter and we preach all about Christ. We talk about Jesus a lot. But we don't even know about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so that's what this whole series has been about. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the fruit of the Spirit and how that is so important in our life and how there's this battle going on between the lust of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Last week you looked at the power of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I understand Pastor Aaron did an awesome job bringing the Word of God to you last Sunday morning. He had a wonderful prayer time and, and God came and met you in a marvelous way as you looked at the power of the Holy Spirit Spirit. Today we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit. There are nine gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's another list in Romans 12 we'll look at in a little bit, and there's another list in Ephesians chapter 4. They are all called gifts of the Spirit. So uh, let's stand together. We're going to read God's Word, Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, Brothers at faith, sisters at faith, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. 
So this morning, we're going to teach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we have knowledge from the Word of God together. Jump down to verse number uh, four. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of, of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the spirit of the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to, another, uh, to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your sweet presence that is already here today. We pray right now for 16 young people who are overseas sharing the word of God this morning. We pray that your presence and power will be with them as they bring the word of God today. And you use them all week long as they minister. And for our other team going out tomorrow, I pray that your hand will be on them. I pray, God, today as we open up the word of God, you'll open up our hearts. May we receive what you have for us this morning. May you be lifted up and glorified in all that is done. We ask it all in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The word for gifts of the Spirit is the word charismata. Charismata. And and it comes from the word charis, the original Greek word charis, the root word charis, which literally means grace. And so what we understand from the word itself is these are gifts of God's grace. You can't earn them. You can't merit them. You can't work for them hard enough. They are gifts that God has given to us by his grace. They are his unmerited fair gifts that we don't deserve. In other words, salvation is a free gift of God. You can never earn your own salvation. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. However, there is a work to be done if we are going to advance the kingdom of God. And so to continue that work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he also gives us spiritual gifts to accomplish the mission he's called us to do while we're here on the earth. And so he starts out in verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant brethren concerning spiritual gifts. So today, take your outlines out, turn them over, you can follow along with me. I encourage you to take notes as we learn and grow together. Now number one, I want you to understand this, the gifts are for you. God has gifts for you. Every one of us in the house who know the Lord Jesus Christ, God has gifts for you. Look at verse number 7. Now to each one, The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So to everyone, you can have the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in your life. The Holy Spirit is inside of us already. He's there because we've asked Jesus Christ to come into our heart. The Holy Spirit comes in. Our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. But that Spirit within us wants to use us in the gifts of the Holy Spirit so we can help each other. The Bible says, for the common good. Now, in the Old Testament, as you look at kind of the spiritual empowering, endowment with power, spiritual giftings, it seems like the only ones really operating in those gifts are the prophets and the priests. And you see God works through the Old Testament prophets. He works through the priest, the priesthood, and the leaders. But something began to happen on the day of Pentecost. 
On the day of Pentecost, the power is poured out now, not just on the leadership of the church, but on the entire body. And there's 120 in the upper room. Uh, there, there are all kinds of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are men up there. There are women up there. They're all Christ followers. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs. And with that comes the opening of the entire gifts of the Holy Spirit that you will see in operation all throughout the entire book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, the power came down. And it's available to everybody who would put their faith in Jesus Christ, even Gentiles. Not just Jews, but it's going to cross the borders, and even Gentiles can be used and flow in these gifts. Now, something begins to happen after the early church age. They begin to hire what we now know may be described in our language today as clergy. And so they would have priests or clergy who would lead and direct the church. And so the word clergy literally means one who reads. And so they begin to this, uh, have this kind of separation between the clergy and the laity or laymen. And uh, laymen, uh, it's just kind of a good term to describe them because laymen, what do they do? They just lay around. They do nothing. Laymen, laying around. And so, so you have this kind of separation between the leadership of the church. They had the word of God. They operated in the gifts. They led the church. They did all the ministry. But in the 1500s, a man by the name of Martin Luther leads a Protestant, what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. And one of the, one of the tenets of the Protestant Reformation was that, that the priesthood of all believers, that every believer is called to be a priest unto God, that it's not just the clergy, it's not just the higher-ups in the church, it's not just the higher guns, but all believers are now priests unto the Lord, according to the word of God. And, and also about this same time, Scripture becomes available to the entire church body through the Gutenberg Press and the distribution of the King James Version of the Bible. And this begins very uh, spread about, and the Word of God began going out. And so now the church began to discover that now they also can flow and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God, which they now have. Now, here's the problem. Many in the church today have kind of reverted back to the hired gun mentality. In other words, pastor, we hire you, we pay a staff of pastors at the church, we come and give our tithes, you do the ministry. You do the work of the ministry. We'll sit back and become spectators. And so if we are not careful, the church can become a body of spectators uh, depending on the clergy or the higher guns to do all the ministry. And we revert back to that. And my desire for faith assembly of God is to see the gifts flowing throughout the body of Christ, everybody in the church operating the gifts, everybody finding their place of service, everybody being used by God supernaturally, everybody touching and changing the world and influencing those who are around them through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were meant to be used by all the believers. The gifts are for you. They don't just reside in the pastors and the staff and the ministry leaders. The gifts are for everybody. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on all flesh. We can all flow and 
operate in these gifts. Now, let me just take a, a moment to look at these gifts in 1 Corinthians 9, and you may, may need to jot these down. There are three gifts that we call what are the gifts of revelation. This is where God is revealing himself. And I'm going to show you how these, these gifts of the Spirit operate and how they work. And they are called the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Let's take a look for a moment at the word of wisdom. Word of wisdom can be defined as wisdom that comes from God for specific need or a specific problem. In other words, there's a problem going on, there's tension going on, there's something happening, and God drops down and through his Holy Spirit gives you that answer to solve that problem. That what we call the word of wisdom. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God. And what that gift does is it draws on the unlimited wisdom of Almighty God. Listen, if you would, to Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways beyond finding out. And so this this wisdom, this gift of wisdom, this word of wisdom taps on the wisdom of Almighty God, and he gives you wisdom for certain situations. What an incredible gift that God has for the body of Christ. You see it several different times in the book of Acts. Remember in Acts chapter 6, there's a problem that's threatening to divide the early church. And uh, there's Greek widows who are being ignored. And as they're passing out all the food, they're taking care of all the Jewish widows. But they're not doing anything for the Hellenistic Greek widows. And they're not taking care of them. And so, so the Bible says that they, uh, p- they got together and they said, Uh, The 12, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, says, let's choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and let's call them deacons, which literally means servants, and let them take care of the ministry of distributing to all the needs of the church. And so, so through that leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit of God, he spoke through the disciples in that word of wisdom, and they had an answer for the problem they were facing. And we have deacons that serve today at Faith Assembly of God. They do an outstanding job. They're full of wisdom, they're full of the Spirit of God, and they help us with all the leading and finances of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, all the management of God's people and God's resources. Acts chapter 13, it's interesting, it says they had been, in verse 2, they had been worshiping the Lord and fasting. And, and they're in Antioch, and it becomes the church has kind of moved now out of the center in Jerusalem because of persecution. Now they're ministering out of Antioch. They're worshiping God. They're praying. They're seeking the Lord. And it says, and the Holy Spirit spoke. Now, now, what does that mean? Does it mean the Holy Spirit spoke in an audible voice? No, what happens is he speaks through a word of wisdom, and he tells them, set aside Paul and Barnabas, and out of that leadership of the Holy Spirit of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit, in fact, there's no person attributed with saying that out loud. It simply says the Holy Spirit spoke, and this word of wisdom comes forth. They say, set aside Paul and Barnabas, send them on this missionary journey that is literally going to change the face of the entire world. Word of wisdom. Word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is a revelation of a spiritual truth previously unknown. In other words, it's knowledge about something you never learned about. Let me give you a great example, Acts chapter 5. Remember the story? Uh, They come in, Ananias and Sapphira, and they had just seen uh, Barnabas sell his property and give it to the church. Ananias and Sapphira say, hey, that's pretty cool. We'll do the same thing. And they 
kind of claimed that they were going to sell their goods and give it to the church, okay? But they kept back a part for themselves. Nobody of the disciples or the early church could have known that. They just had this little pack between themselves. Let's just hold some money back for ourselves, but we'll look like we're giving it all. And all the church is going to clap and say, look how great Ananias and Sapphira are. But Peter says... You have lied to the church and you have lied to the Holy Spirit of God. Where did Peter get that? A word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. He couldn't have known that. No one told him that. But the Holy Spirit told him right there on the spot, these guys are lying. Call them out. Ananias falls down. Sapphira later dies. And uh, that word of knowledge comes through. What a powerful gift for his church today. Then there's the discerning of spirits. And the discerning of spirits is kind of a gift that operates as the policeman for all the other gifts. And so we need to discern the spirits. Listen to this. 1 John 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now listen to me. This is, this is an important, important gift for the church. Try the spirits. Not everybody who says, thus saith the Lord, is speaking for God. They may be on television. They may have millions watching them. Try the spirits. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Just because they put a tagline, thus saith the Lord. And there's a whole lot, I don't have time to go into all the biblical proofs and the ways we try the spirit uh, uh, of false prophets. And, and there's some other tests in there in the word of God. Does it line up with scripture, of course, is the main test right away. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are three kinds of spirits that, we, that, that people operate out of. There is the operation of the Holy Spirit. There is a gifting of the Holy Spirit. There are words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of the spirit that are directly from the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, that's the, that's the spirit we're talking about. But then there is also demonic spirits. Bible says, in my name you will cast out de- demons, you will cast out devils. Now, now, let me give you a word of caution here real quick. I believe that believers cannot be demon-possessed. The word of God teaches that very clearly, and so I don't think it's demonic possession if a person is a child of God, born again. In Mark chapter 3, they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of the devil himself, and he says that can't happen. A house divided against itself will fall. In other words, you can't be the habitation of the Holy Spirit of God and be possessed by devils at the same time. The Bible says out of your innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water, not demonic activity, not demonic spirits. And so a child of God cannot be demon-possessed, okay? But there are demon spirits in the world, and there are many, many who are demon-possessed, So you've got to understand where the spirit is coming from. And then there's that human spirit. Human spirit is man's natural fleshly spirit. It is, we talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about the lust of the flesh. Uh, There's a a neat verse in the Bible. James and John are walking along with the disciples in Jesus Christ. And they see someone else ministering. uh, Ministering for Christ in the kingdom of God. Doing good stuff. And they're mad because he's not in their group. He's not one of them, not one of the disciples. 
And so he says, you know what? Let's just call fire down from heaven and stop them right now. Stop it. And, 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 and Jesus says, you do not know what spirit you are of. They were operating out of a fleshly spirit that cries out for revenge and vengeance and justice and bitterness and anger. Those are all manifestations of that flesh nature. And so Jesus says, you do not know what spirit you are of. And so these are, are what we would call uh, revelation gifts, where God imparts a revelation for discerning of spirits, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And then there are, there are these, I love these gifts, the power gifts. And they're amazing. And they're to operate in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're to operate today. They never went away. They never stopped anywhere along the way. And these are the gift of faith, the gift of healing, and the gift of miracles. Faith, healing, and miracles, all listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gift of faith is not saving faith. We are saved by faith. But everyone has enough faith to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And so we're not talking about that yet, but it's a supernatural faith for a specific situation. You need a miracle in your life, you need God to answer, you need God to move, and your faith builds up, and you believe God. It's that it's in itself is a gift from God. There's numerous examples in the Word of God, but Hebrews chapter 11 talks about a hall of faith, a, a heroes of faith, and it lists a whole bunch of people who operated and moved in supernatural faith. And they overcame lions, and they, uh, and, and they did mighty exploits, and he talks about all those pioneers of faith. Now, faith can be cultivated. It can grow in your life. And while it is in its essence a gift of God, it can also grow because Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you want your faith to grow, begin to get into the word of God so that when those situations come up in your life, bam, your, your heart of the word of God and the spirit of God prompting you, uh, faith can operate in your life. It goes, faith goes beyond the natural into the supernatural realm, the gift of faith. Uh, and then uh, gifts of healing, and all these three are closely related. I mean, sometimes we want to separate them, nine specific things, but there's crossing over, and they operate together, and faith operates with healing. And so you see in Acts chapter 3, after the Holy Spirit's been poured out, Peter and John are walking up to the gate beautiful. There's a lame man. I don't know how many days he had been there, but on this occasion, the gift of healing is going to operate through Peter and John. And what do they say? Silver and gold have I not, but whatever I, such as I have, I give unto thee, rise and be healed in the name of Jesus. He gets up and begins to dance and celebrate. A crowd gathers and people are, are, uh, give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there is the working of miracles. Working of miracles has no other explanation than the supernatural power of God. It is God doing the supernatural. Uh, I, I just jotted this one down because I love the story. Uh, Paul's been shipwrecked on an island. They're building a little campfire because they're all cold because they swam to shore. And what's he do? A viper jumps out and bites him. Now, by all accounts, he should have fallen over dead within a few moments. It's the poisonous, nasty, bad kind of vipers. And so they're all waiting, and they thought, surely this is the judgment of God. It's bad enough he got shipwrecked and almost died on the boat, but now God caught you for sure trying to run away and he's going to send a viper and he's going to get you and you're going to die right there on the spot what does he do he shakes it off and the snake goes crawling right back into the fire from whence it came and uh nothing happens to paul 
What, what, this, this, you see this, this miracle that takes place right here on the spot. So let me ask you some questions very quickly. When is the last time you prayed for somebody who is sick and believed that God could heal them and would heal them? This gift should be operating in the church. There is, there is a pattern for calling for the elders and anointing with oil, but listen to me. Any one of you can operate in the gift of healing. It's for the whole body. It's for the entire church. When is the last time you prayed for someone to be delivered from an addiction or a bondage and you saw God set them free and that snake jump off their arm and crawl back into the fire? Don't just sit around and wait for the gifts to arrive. Say, God, I'm here. I'm here on Sunday. Okay. Want me to have it? Bam. I'm ready. You you be... you put the word of God into practice and make room for the Holy Spirit to act, operate in your life. That The gifts are supernatural, but they should operate naturally in the life of the believer. They should be a part and parcel of who we are. Everywhere we go, under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, these gifts are flowing and operating in our life as we minister to the world and we minister to the body of Christ. It's not weird. It's not freaky. It's not knock me over if you want to use me in this gift because you wait for that to happen. Nothing will happen. The Holy Spirit is already with you and he is in you. And so we put the word of God into action. We kick our faith into actions and we activate the gifts of the Spirit through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God will fulfill his word. Paul tells Timothy, stir up the gift that is already within you. And so he is there, he is with us. And then there are the gifts of verbal inspiration. These are specifically prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. Now he tells us very specifically, these three gifts are for the edification of the church, edification of the body of believers. Prophecy is from the Greek word to speak for another. So it has the idea of speaking for someone else or to speak for another. And so in the context here, it is giving a message from God. It is bringing a word from the Lord, bringing a word from God for the church or for the body of Christ. It is for the edification of the body. 1 Corinthians 14.3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So prophecy, what an incredible gift that God has for the body of Christ. And it's always for strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. I tell you what, there are many, many people who need that ministry of that gift to them because they need strengthening, and they need encouraging, and they need comforting, and they need to hear a fresh word from the Lord. Wow. It's an awesome gift. He said it builds up or edifies the body. The word edify, you'll see it in the King James Version, literally means to build up. And so it strengthens the body of Christ. This is a gift, of, a, a verbal gift that we speak out under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God that builds up the saints, builds up the body of Christ. First, verse 39 of chapter 14, he says, be eager to prophesy. Be eager to prophesy. Let God use you and flow in you in this gift. Now, let me give you, and we'll give you, 1 Corinthians 14 gives a whole lot of guidelines. We're going to get there in point two and three, but listen to me. It must line up with the word of God because it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, prophecy shall cease. 
In other words, when, when the Lord comes back and the Lord returns, there'll be no more need for the gift of prophecy. We will be in the presence of the Lord himself. We'll have all wisdom, all revelation, all knowledge. It will be there. All love will be perfected. It's going to be awesome when he comes back. The, the, the gift of prophecy in that moment will cease. But I want you to listen to something, First Peter 1 Peter 1.25, but the word of God abides forever. And so the word of prophecy never contradicts the word of Scripture. Let me say that again. That prophetic word that you may have thought the Holy Spirit gave you must always line up with the word of God. Never, ever contradict the word. The word of God abides forever. And then the other two verbal gifts are the gift of tongues or speaking in other languages and interpretation of tongues. Uh, The gift of tongues is a message in an unknown language, but it always in the church setting must be accompanied by the gift of interpretation. So the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretations always work together. I will show you that in a moment from the word of God. And And the reason for these two gifts operating together, he says, is so the whole church body can be edified. Because if you speak a message in tongues and there's no interpretation, no one knows what you're saying. You're just like a clanging cymbal or a sounding trumpet. So that leads me to point number two. Not only can everyone operate and flow in the gifts, but the gifts are for the church. The gifts are for the edification and development and growth of the body of Christ. They are for the church. They're for their edification that we may be built up together in the most holy faith. Verse seven, the manifestation of the spirit is given to, for the common good. Now, now let me just, I'm, I want to, I want, I got, I got a lot, I'm excited today. I, I, the gifts are not so we can say, look what I got. Or look what I did. Or look at how I operate in these gifts. Or look at how much more better I am than you are. The gifts are for building up the body. Now now let me explain this for you. In chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians, you have all these nine gifts listed there. And and then you have him talk about how they flow and operate in the body. And he uses some analogies. He says, you know, he talks about the hand and the eye and the foot. And he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. In other words, in the body of Christ, we need each other. Everybody is important. Everybody has a role to fill, a place to fill. We are all needed in the body of Christ. And so he talks about the building of the body. He says, when one member suffers, what do we do? We all suffer. We all feel that pain. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. And so the gifts are always for the edification of the church or the body, okay? Chapter 14, he gives an explanation of how tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and prophecy all operate inside the church. You've got a very clear list, and we'll deal with that in a few moments, but how they, those three gifts work together in the church. Here's what you have, though. Sandwiched between chapter 12, the listing of the gifts, and the explanation of the body, and chapter 14 is chapter 13, How many know what chapter 13 is called? The love chapter. You got it. It's all about love. He says if the gifts aren't operating in love, you're nothing. You're avoiding the use in the gifts. It means nothing. 
uh, and, and he says in verse one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm, you're just speaking words. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help anybody because there's no love. The body's not being edified. Verse two, if you have the gift, he uses, he lists four gifts there. Prophecy, word of wisdom, knowledge, and faith. He says, if you have not love, you are nothing. So we've got to understand that the gifts are primarily for the church. Ultimately, the church might reach the world. Verse number three, he says, though you give all you have and though you even give your body to be burned and have not love, you gain nothing. Now, the gift of giving is not in chapter 12. It is found in Romans chapter 12. And so Paul draws back on that and he writes to Corinthians in chapter 13. If you give all you have away, which would be kind of like the gift of giving, but if you don't have love, you may be a philanthropist, but you're not operating the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing, nothing. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. They are for the edification of the body of Christ. They are for the edification of the church. Now, there's other list of gifts. Romans 12 has seven gifts listed. And, uh, and these are kind of like ministry gifts. And they operate in the body of Christ. Prophecy is listed again, but the gift of serving, that's kind of a, a very a gift that any member of the body can flow in, yet it's still gifting by the Holy Spirit. Teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy. And then in chapter four, you have what we call as equipping gifts, and you have that five-fold ministry. Uh, uh, you got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so you have that gifting, but they are, it's the same word in Ephesians 4 as it is in Romans 12, as it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They are all called gifts of the Spirit, charismata. Okay, same word in all three cases, okay? So, and those are for equipping for service that the body, what, might be built up. 1 Corinthians 12 after Paul lists the nine gifts, he talks about how they operate and flow together, and I've already mentioned that already. So I want to encourage you to discover your unique gift at Faith Assembly of God. Where is my gifting? Where is God calling me? Because you play a vital role in the body of Christ. You're important to the body of Christ, and your giftings are necessary and vital, and they're gifts of the Spirit that he has for the entire church that we all might grow and benefit thereby. Uh, Paul's so concerned about the gift, uh, about using the gifts for the edification of the body, he spends an entire chapter, chapter 14, on dealing with the three gifts, just to make sure they understood that the body would be edified, not the individual. So in 1 Corinthians 14, let me jump to there, he explores the purpose of prophecy, tongues, and interpretation, and how those things all flow and operate in the church. It seems the church of Corinth was guilty of an overuse of the gift of tongues. Now, now you can understand that. The Holy Spirit's been outpoured, and the early church, they're, they're being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're all praying in tongues, and it's happening throughout the, just the, the entire church world. I mean, it's being poured out wherever they're going. It's fulfilling Joel's prophecy. He'll pour out a spirit upon all flesh, and they're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you can see how that when the church comes together, they are so excited about 
that gift of tongues, that they are all beginning to speak in tongues at one time, out loud, many operations of the flowing of the gift of tongues, and yet it was out of order and brought confusion in the church because no one could understand what was being said. Speaking in tongues is an unknown language. Let me tell you how it's used. It's used many different ways in Scripture. It is very, very biblical. You heard about it last week in connection with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In Acts, which is our history of the early church, it describes them being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 19, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And so we call that gift the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it was kind of like, it's that first evidence, that first sign with the ultimate end of power to be my witnesses, where in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That was the early church pattern. Thus, we believe it is still a biblical, viable pattern for today. But it is also a part, powerful part of our prayer language. So that when you pray as spirit-filled believers, you do like the Apostle Paul said, I will pray with my understanding, and I will pray with the Spirit, implying I will pray in tongues, I will pray in unknown languages, comparing that with the understanding. Paul says, I will sing with my understanding, I will sing with the Spirit. Now he's very clear to distinguish what praying in the Spirit is. Praying in the Spirit is praying in your unknown language that God gave you at your baptism. It's that that, that prayer language that we intercede in and we pray with and we pray in and it's the Spirit of God praying through us. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit maketh intercession, what? According to the will of God. So when you pray in the Spirit, you are praying spiritual prayers that hit the mark. It is a powerful form of intercessory prayer. And if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you haven't prayed in the Spirit, you're missing a part of a, a dynamic part of your spiritual prayer language that well, the Bible says edifies you. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Take you through a quick study of this. Verse 14 of chapter 4, first of all, 1 Corinthians 14 to verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Now, here's where he's going to get the distinguishing of how the gift operates in the church. He says, when you pray in the Spirit, what happens is your spirit man is being built up. Isn't that awesome? You edify yourself. Your spirit man is being built up. Okay. That's what the Word of God says in verse number four. It builds us up spiritually. Uh, Look at verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So we know that praying in tongues means my spirit's praying. Okay? He just said it there. But my mind is unfruitful. So when you pray in the spirit, your spirit is praying through you, but you don't understand the words you are praying. Your mind is unfruitful, verse 14. In verse 17 of chapter 14, he says, when you pray in the spirit, you give thanks well. And so it's, a, it's just a, sometimes you'll be praying and you just, you just want to thank God well and you begin to pray in your unknown language. And he says you give thanks well when that happens. But he says there's a problem with that in the church. He says in the church, when you pray out loud in the spirit, no one is edified. No one's built up. So 
the Corinthians, by virtue of all coming together and praying out loud in the Spirit, they were being very selfish with their gift. He said the gift, if it's going to edify the body, needs an interpretation. That gift to accompany with it. Paul would say that, uh, that uh, he, get, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than ye all. And so Paul is not talking about not praying in tongues. He's just saying there's a place for it. Powerful part of my prayer language. Great way to give thanks. Powerful intercession. Holy Spirit interceding through me. Uh, praying directly according to the will of my Heavenly Father because you sometimes I know not how to pray as I ought to and so I begin to pray in the Spirit. But he says in the church, there ought to always be an interpretation. Why? Because when I come together with the body, it's not just all about me. It's about us all being edified and growing up together. My spiritual man can be built up in my prayer closet all by myself. When I come into church on Sunday morning, I just don't jump up and start praying in another language. I won't do that in the pulpit. I won't do it with my mic on. Why? Because I'm edifying myself, and you guys are looking at me like, what's going on? I don't get it. You won't. Paul's not discounting the power of praying in the Spirit. But in the assembly, it becomes selfish since no one understands, and therefore you cannot be built up. Tongues must be accompanied, accompanied, if it's ever in the church, by another gift called the gift of interpretation. These two gifts always operate together. Now, let, let me read it to you. I've, I've given you the background. Look at chapter 14 and verse number 1. Follow the way of love, but eagerly de- desire and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So love should control the use of all the gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now here's why he's saying prophecy is more valuable in the church. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So when you pray in tongues, you are speaking to God. Powerful. But in the church, prophecy is preferred. You got it? Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So which is better in the church? We just stop right there. We see which is better. Prophecy. Why? Because it strengthens you, it comforts you, and encourages you. Because you understand what God wants to say. Got it? He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy. So you should all be praying in tongues, but prophesy in the church. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless, here's the caveat, unless he interprets so the church may be edified. So the only way tongues should ever be used in a church corporate setting is that it should always come within an Interpretation of tongues, which is also a gift of the Holy Spirit. So tongues plus interpretation can have the same power as prophecy. You kind of understand what Paul's saying here? Now, let me talk about the gift of interpretation for a minute. The gift of interpretation is not translation. You're not translating word for word what the message in tongues was about. That's why sometimes, you know, one's a couple minutes, the other's 
five minutes, you know. So it, it's, it's an inter- it's, God's given a message for the church, and he uses tongues to get our attention. Then he gives you the message or the interpretation of that message. The gift of supernatural is not translated. When I go preach in, in, in Latin America, I, I stand there and I preach in English, and I have a translator who is next to me, and he translates what I'm saying in Spanish so the church can understand what's being said. But that's translation. That's something that he learned in college or whatever. You know, through time, he learned how to translate English to Spanish. That's not the gift of interpretation. The gift of interpretation is a gift by the Holy Spirit of God. So it doesn't require you to know the language. It is so critical, he says, that if no one gives the interpretation, the person who gave the message in tongues should pray that he may interpret. Why? Because we need the whole body edified. He says, keep silent. When you give a message in tongues, wait for the interpretation to come. If there is no interpretation, he says, pray that you may interpret or the person who spoke the message may interpret because everybody needs that message. Now, there are times when we get together in a body of believers and we're all worshiping the Lord and we're all praising God. Some people would just begin to praise God in an unknown language. And that's, that's all right. Just do it quietly. But when you begin to lift your voice so the whole body can hear, then there needs to be an interpretation for that message in tongues. Uh, the only time around the altars, I, we tell our altar workers, we teach an altar workers training class. When people come forward for prayer, we do not pray for them in the spirit. Why? Because we don't know what their need is and we don't know what's going on and you think, well, maybe I ought to pray because I'm praying according to the will of my heavenly father, but it will throw them a, a loop. It will not edify them. It is not about us praying. It's about the person we're praying for. And the only time we will pray in the Spirit is if someone is coming seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was happening last Sunday morning, I understand. You had a great, great time, and we pray for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, much in the chapter of chapter 14 deals with the operation in the church. Let me give you some four guidelines real quick out of 1 Corinthians 14. Number one, there should be two or at the most three, not only tongues and interpretation, but also words of prophecy. Now, what's that mean? And let me, verse 27 is where he talks about tongues, and verse 29 he talks about prophecy. So he says, when you come together in the body, there should be two or at the most three messages in tongues and interpretations, no more than that. Even when it comes to prophecy, verse 29, when a word is given in English from the Lord, it should all be at two or at the most three. In other words, when someone gives four or five or whatever, they're out of order. They're out of order. It's not in line with the word of God. They may feel great. They want to do it. It's out of order. The Bible also says in verse 30 and 31, one at a time. Now, I will tell you, sometimes in, in, at faith assembly, it can be a challenge because we've had times when the Spirit of God moves in this place and someone may begin to give a message in tongues or a word of prophecy and maybe you don't hear on the other side and someone will begin to give a word of prophecy over here. What happens is I've got to shepherd that moment as the pastor and say, I'm gonna ask this person to hold over here so we can get the word of God from over here. And so, you know, they're not trying to be selfish. It's just in a large setting like this, Sometimes it's hard and two people get cranked up at the same time. Uh, now, it should also occur at the right time in the service. The Holy Spirit will not interrupt the preached word of God. If you stood up right now and began to give a word of prophecy, I'd say, hey, sit down, dude, hold that. This is not the time for that. I'm, I'm preaching the word. I, I, you know, I worked hard on this. No, it's not about me, it's about the word. 
So it won't interrupt. Look at just verse number 40 real quick. It says, uh, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So there are times that the Spirit of God will move, usually during the praise and worship. Sometimes I've seen it happen at the end when an altar call is being given and there's a word of God for uh, uh, encouragement or support or strengthening that comes out maybe at the end of the message. Usually that will happen from time to time here at Faith Assembly, but usually during those times. Uh, And then here's the last one. The gift of tongues is controllable. And the gift of prophecy is controllable. Now, what do you mean by that? It is a, super, it is a gift from God, yes. But you have control of when that gift is to operate and flow. Look, look at verse 23. I'm going to give you some just, uh, uh, go back up here. Here it is. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbeliever comes in, they will think that you are out of your mind. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll use that verse. That's fine. Uh, there are times that I have felt that, that maybe there was a word of tongues, a gift of tongues that came out, and I felt like it was out of order or it was not appropriate or it was not the right time. Or even a, a word of prophecy that uh, just didn't line up with the word of God. I've got to, as the pastor, shepherd those moments and discern that spirit right away. And uh, there was one person that long years ago, uh, we weren't at this location then. We were at the, our other church location after our first guy here. began to speak in tongues, but it was just totally out of order. It was out of time. It was drawing attention to themselves. It wasn't about edifying the body. And, uh, and so I, I, I asked her, just, just hold that word. She got mad at me later. Very, very irate. And, says, and, I, and so I talked to her about it one-on-one. She said, Pastor, I just couldn't control myself. I just couldn't control it. It happened, God gave it to me, and it had to come out right then. And I took her to this verse, and, and another verse, which is one I meant to read, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, you have control over when and how that comes out, and he says the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, but it would that all things be done decently and in order. Now, do I always hit it right? No, I miss it. There are many, many times I miss it. There was one time I was in church. There was somebody in that balcony right up there gave a prophetic word, and uh, he started, but he just went way off on this whole heavy judgment thing on and on and on and on, like dominating the service. I didn't know who he was. I should have stopped it immediately. I kept thinking he's going to stop any moment now. He never, ever did stop. Finally, you know, I, he, he got done, and I thought the guy would never end. But it brought a lot of confusion to the body. I had two or three people come to me afterwards and say, that just didn't really feel like that was from God. I said, you know what, it, it wasn't, I didn't think it was from God either. And I, and I should have shepherded that moment and stopped it at the time, but until the word came out, I didn't know what was being said and where he was going, and so I kind of got into the whole thing, and it was kind of went by me. So we will miss those times. We will miss those moments. And, and as the gifts operate in the body of Christ, you know, it, it, it just never should ever contradict the word of God. We've got to learn to shepherd those moments. But no one can ever say, I just could not help myself. It's a cop out. Uh, look at verses 32 and 33. Let me read these to you. The spirits of, this is what I'm looking for, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So Corinth, a very spirit-filled, powerful church, that uh, they're praying in the spirit, and it's overused, and so he sets this whole chapter to set it back in order. Last thing, and I gotta, I gotta hasten real quick. Uh, the gifts are for unbelievers. Gifts are for unbelievers. Ultimately, all the gifts are used by God to reach the lost. 
whether, whether it's uh, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip you to do the work of the ministry to reach the lost, whether it's those serving gifts that we read about in Romans chapter 12. Uh, it's all about serving, giving. Ultimately, it's to reach the lost. Even, the, even these gifts we read in chapter 9 are all about ultimately reaching the lost. And you see a hint of that in chapter 14. Look at verse 21 and 22. It says there, and the Lord is written through a tongue, through, the, through, the men, through men of strange tongues and through lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So some of you right away, you're, you're thinking ahead of me, hey, if tongues and interpretations equal prophecy, why even have tongues at all ever operating in the church? Well, he said it's a powerful sign for the unbeliever. And so there are sometimes God will speak through these two gifts working together, tongues and interpretation, because people will come and say, hey, wait a minute. God's in the house. The Holy Spirit's there. And so it is a sign that draws the unbeliever in, so then they hear the message that God wants to give. It also is a sign, uh, and, and you see this on the day of Pentecost. What happens? 3,000 people are gathered together, or, or the, the, the temple's filled. They're, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. What are they doing? They're praying in tongues, but there were those from languages all around them, and on that occasion, they heard them speak in their own native languages. What happens that day? Peter stands up and preaches, and 3,000 get saved and give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful sign to the unbeliever. It was noised abroad what was going on. And, so, and then even the gift of prophecy can be assigned to the unbeliever. Look at verse 24 and 25. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. So when that word of prophecy goes out, often it brings a call to repentance. The secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so we will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And so ultimately, all the gifts are to reach the lost, which is what God has called us to do, which is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about, power to be witnesses, which is what the gifts God's given us to use and operate in, all ultimately are about reaching lost people for the kingdom of God. Faith is the basis of operation of all the gifts. I will tell you, when you feel like God wants to use you with a word of wisdom, God wants to use you in the gift of healing, God wants to use you in, uh, to give a prophetic word, it will be a great point for you of spiritual warfare because you'll begin to pull back and say, is this really me or is this you, God? Is this you, God? And, and, and so often we let that fear inhibit us from flowing and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. So I want to encourage you, and I've taught this morning, and, and, and I want to encourage you to begin, wherever you go and wherever you are, begin to operate and step out in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He will prompt you. He will speak to your heart. He will lead you. He will guide you. He's your counselor. He's with you. He's in you. So you can live your life to the full and be impactful, not only in the church, but we can reach the world all around us with these gifts that God has designed for us. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.